Morning. Let's begin with a prayer. God, You are an awesome God and we love You and we thank You for Your Spirit which uh, You have promised to send to us. And so Lord, we just want to bask in, in a God that would not only send His Son, but after His Son would choose to die for us, that You still wouldn't leave us and that You continue to walk with us. And so Lord, I just I want to thank You for that. Lord, there, there are many times we find ourselves wandering off and, and so Lord, I just... I pray that we continue to, to seek you and, uh, and look for you. It's the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. Uh, got online um, today, uh, or I want to share with you today um, some material, a test actually, that I, I got off uh, the internet, and I want to I find out how well you guys will do. So um, this is not for a grade, uh, although um, how well you do um, is really important. So, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you a question, and I'm going to give you some multiple choice questions. And you're supposed to tell me, uh, just, you don't have to raise your hand, but in your mind, uh, this is going to determine uh, where you sit. How do you address a group of people? What is the word or phrase that you might use to address a group of people? Is it, you guys? Is it, you all? Is it use? Is it youans? Or is it y'all? Well, we're from Texas and New Mexico and the South, uh, and so most of us would say you all. Uh, I did have a friend a- in college that was not from the South, and they would say use guys, which I always thought was a little weird. You just didn't fit in in Texas. Okay, so we got the first one done. The second one. What's that long sandwich with lots of cold cuts and toppings? What do you call it? Do you call it a what? A sub. Southerners. Uh, is it a hoagie? Is it a grinder? Is it called an Italian? A hero? A po' boy? Or of course, a sub? Well, it really just depends on where you're from and who you're around. How about this? What is that bubbly carbonated drink called? Coke. It could be a soda. It could be a Coke, which doesn't necessarily refer to the brand. Down south, if a waitress says, ask what you want, and you say Coke, she will then ask, what kind of Coke would you like? And then you might say, well, I'd like a Dr. Pepper. There's soda, there's Coke, there's pop, There's drink or soft drink, and there's tonic, are different words that you might use. It all depends on where you live and who you're around. This is the last one I'm going to ask. What's that bug that rolls into a ball when you touch it called? A roly-poly. Is there any other name for it? As a matter of fact, yes. In other places, it's called, for whatever reason, a potato bug. It's also called a peel bug, a doodle bug, and I don't know if this is supposed to be a sow bug or a sow bug, but sow bug, or a cellar bug, but we call it a roly-poly. It depends on who you're around and where you live. 
What I want to talk about this morning is, is completely out of my area of expertise. And in fact, this area of expertise falls directly on the lap of Lance Havens, who has a book about this thick that talks about speech patterns and different words that you use. Um, and then inside the book that's this thick has words that are about this long, how they fit it in there, I don't know, but describing why we talk the way we do. But there are really two different ways that I'm going to use uh, to talk about why we use the words that we use and the speech that we, uh, that we speak. It's done subconsciously and it's done consciously. And again, Lance would use words like palate and tongue thrush and thrust and words that I don't even understand. But basically there's two ways in which we learn uh, the vocabulary that we use. It is done consciously, and it is done subconsciously. The subconsciously, we learn by our surroundings. The way that our friends talk, the way that our family talks, the way that our environment and our our culture talks. We don't call it a potato bug because we never heard it called a potato bug. We walk into a room, and we don't say, Hey, you guys. We say, Hey, y'all. Because subconsciously, we have picked that up from other people around us, from our culture. It depends on where we live and who we are around. But I also want to talk for just a minute about the idea that we could also change our vocabulary consciously as well. We can choose to sound less Southern. In fact, there are people, specifically those who are in the media and they're on, in a national area, uh, they, they speak at a, at a, on a national level and they don't want to come across being too northern or too southern. And they actually will hire people who will help them take away their accent and reduce some of those vocabulary words that would indicate that they're from the south. So they don't say y'all and all y'all. And instead, they might say you, but they won't say you guys either. So consciously, we can do it as well. Uh, we can practice this out. I, I remember uh, as a child watching the show, It's a Wonderful Life, and thought, wouldn't it be great if I could talk like old Jimmy Stewart? <laughs> and my favorite line is when he walks back in and he goes, Janie and, and, and Sally, it's, it's so good to see you. I, I had this terrible dream. And and consciously, I wanted to go around and talk like him. And that was a phase that I went through. It was an awkward phase. I lost friends because of that. I couldn't speak at the table because of that. But consciously, I chose to want to speak like that. Not only does our environment and the people we're around, does that not only affect the way that we talk, but it also affects the way that we act. When I was a young child, the one thing I loved to do is ride my bike. Now, I loved to ride my bike because it was fun and it wasn't involving sitting in front of the TV. I could get to go around. But there was another reason I loved to ride my bike. It was because of John and Ponch. How many of you know exactly what I'm talking about when I say John and Ponch? If you have not, then you have missed out on a wonderful well-acted, I probably shouldn't say that, 
a TV show, I, I assume it was probably in the late 70s. I may have watched reruns at that time, but there was a show called Chips. And John and Poncherello were the two guys, and they were, Chips stood for California Highway Patrol. And they were on their motorcycles, and they would zip around, and I would pretend like I was them. And we didn't wear helmets as kids back then, riding bicycles. Nobody knew what that was. So I had to go find an old army helmet that I had on my head, and I painted chips on the side of it. And I would ride my bike on the sidewalk really, really slowly. Until, in my mind, I saw a perp, a perpetrator, that was going, and I would turn around as fast as I could, and I would just start riding as fast as I could to go catch him. Because I wanted to be like John, and I wanted to be like Ponch. And so I began to mimic the things that I saw John and Ponch do. The place where I live, the people that I hang around with, the people that I watch and model, that has a great effect on who I am, who I want to be, and even how that I act. Later on in life, I decided I liked the Beatles. And I was about two, three decades too late, but I loved the Beatles. I let my hair grow out long. I didn't know if I wanted to be George or Ringo, but I got me one of those electric guitars and I plugged it into a little amp and I didn't know how to do anything except turn up the volume and do this as loud as I could. I lost friends that way. And I oftentimes had to go outside to do that. But I wanted to be like them. I wanted to model them. Later on in life, I was introduced to a book that really changed my life. Uh, It's called, No Wonder They Call Him the Savior. And it was written by the man named Max Lucado. And back then, most people had never heard of Max Lucado. But I had come across this book. and, And the way he introduced me to my Savior was inspiring. And I decided that I wanted to be like Max Lucado. I wanted to meet him. I wanted to be able to write like him. And I wanted to be able to share the gospel with other people in the down-to-earth way that he could do it. And so in a lot of ways, I tried to model him. As I got older, it was Joe Bagby who I would listen to. And I wanted to model the way that he studied the Bible and the passion that he displayed. And just as recently as a few years ago, I spent some time with a man by the name of Charles Seibert. And I watched how he dealt with people and how he dealt with conflict uh, and how he, he uh, mentored people and loved people. And I thought, I want to be like him. You see, the thing is, is that as we are around people, the places where we live and the people we surround ourselves with, they affect how we act. And so my question to you this morning is, who have you subconsciously modeled your life after? And who are you right now consciously modeling your life after? We're building up as we're working through this elder selection process. This is not just a series of studies on how to be an elder. This is how to be a Christian. And last week we talked about this idea of humility. And humility is not just about, oh, I'm low. I think what's even more important is understanding just how great God is. 
all the awards, all the accolades, all the money that you can get, the cars that you can have, the houses, whatever it is that you want, that you want to accumulate. I just want you to know that compared to God, Paul would call it rubbish. And that brings about a humility we talked about last week. Isaiah in the presence of God and His wonderful majesty comes before him. And Isaiah's response is what? Woe is me for I am ruined! He is humbled because the greatness of God. And I just want to ask you, are you consciously seeking a relationship with God? Is He the one that you long to be with? In the same way that we model Southerners by our words, roly-poly, cokes, and y'all, it's because we live in the South. And we are surrounded by people who use that type of language. If you choose to live in the presence of God, you can't help but be changed. Humility is not forced on you. It's something you naturally desire because you recognize in light of who God is and what He has done for us, it's humbling. We long to find ourselves serving such a powerful and loving Master. If we want to be transformed by God, one of the things that we need to do is we need to start hanging around Him more. I have suggested this several times before, and even in one of my minister's group, uh, some of the, the ministers in the area, they meet together. And, and we were talking about spiritual disciplines. And, and I suggested the idea, which is not mine, I, I borrowed it, was the idea of we should just waste time with God. And that seems a little offensive to some people if they don't understand what I'm talking about. Like, oh no, we, we don't waste time with God, that wouldn't be right. I want to suggest that if you are meeting with God because you have an agenda or you want something from Him, then that's not really a healthy relationship. It wouldn't be on any level. If the relationship you had with your spouse or a sibling or a co-worker or a friend or a parent is that I will call them when I want something, then that relationship is going to be greatly limited. But instead, if you want to just be with God, well, then it's okay to waste time with Him. You know what, I, let me tell you what I, I think a little bit about why I, I meet with a group of people to worship. And I want to, I want to change the, the scenario a little bit. I want you to know I love my wife. I, I hope there is never any question I love my wife. We've been together for over 16 years. This May will be number 17. A funny thing happened just the other day. I, um, I started getting these, these notices from Facebook 
Um, and people were congratulating us on, on an anniversary. Um, and we hadn't had an anniversary uh, in a while. It was in May. Uh, and, and we had made a post my wife had uh, back in May that said, hey, you know, we're, we're celebrating number 16. Well, about a week ago or a couple weeks ago, one of our Facebook friends got on there and just said, hey, how are y'all doing? It's so good to see, uh, so good to hear from you. Hope to see you soon. Well, that bumped everything up, and all of a sudden, we started getting congratulations on another anniversary. And I thought, wow, Jennifer, time must really be flying. Because at first, when I saw it, I got scared. I thought, oh, no, I missed the anniversary. And I wrote, well, that can't be right. You know, and then I got to thinking, you know, when, when you're with a woman this special, we can celebrate every day. Now let me tell you a little bit about how much I love my wife. Because I love my wife, I love to talk about her. Boy, that's pretty obvious. I love to be around her. I love to be around other people who love my wife. I love to be around other people who will say nice and pleasant and positive things about my wife. I don't want to be around people who talk bad about my wife. Because I love her. And I adore her. And I want to get together with people who feel the same way. I love Jesus. I adore Him. I want to talk about Him. I want to talk to Him. I want to be around people who want to talk about Him. I want to be around people who want to talk to Him. I want to surround myself with people who want to talk about just how great Jesus is. I don't want to be around people who don't love Him and don't want to talk about Him. Unless in some way I can convince them to love Him and talk to Him. You see, it's, it's who we surround ourselves with. That really affects how we speak. I want to take just a few moments and I want to turn to Mark chapter 10. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me there to Mark chapter 10. We're going to look over quickly a passage in which a man subconsciously and consciously chooses to, to surround himself by his Lord. We're going to start in verse 46. This is Mark chapter 10, verse 46. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me! Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me! He was really being annoying, wasn't he? I mean, Jesus was busy. He had a lot of things going on. They didn't know it, but the triumphal entry was about to come. I mean, there would be the gathering of the palm branch. All these things had to go on. And the blind guy over in the corner won't stop yelling. 
Mark indicates that twice he says it, but he says he doesn't stop saying it. So over and over again, he's saying this like a broken record. And everybody says, just be quiet. Stop it. Jesus stopped and said, call him. Thank you, Jesus. Let's drag this guy up, and now Jesus is going to tell him how he has no right to sit there and keep yelling and screaming. Because Jesus is going to explain, he's got important things to do. You tell him, let's bring him over here. So they called the blind man, cheer up on your feet, he's calling you, said some of those around him. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. Now, that was just a really small phrase after that comma, he came to Jesus. What do we know about Bartimaeus? We know a few things. One, he likes to yell a lot. Okay, two, we know that Bar means son of Timaeus. So he's got a dad named Timaeus. And what's the third thing, the most important thing we know about him? He's blind. Mark only says he came to him. Well, that leaves it up to our imagination to find out how he gets there. But he's blind. He jumps up. He throws off his cloak. And surely he says... Somebody take me to Jesus. Or maybe he he keeps calling out, Jesus, where are you? I'm coming. And he listens for Jesus' voice, but he is intentional. The throwing off of the cloak, the jumping up, he wants to be near him. And then Jesus asks a question, which, you know, I, I still find somewhat silly, except that I know it's a question that Jesus would ask of me too. Because he says, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. How bold is he? He doesn't ask for money. He asks to see. That's what he wants. Verse 52 says this, go, comma. That might be one of the biggest commas that we find in the New Testament. Think about that for just a second. How long was the pause between Jesus saying go and finishing out that statement? I want to be healed I'm begging. I want to know more about you. I want to hear what you have to say. I want to learn to talk like you talk and walk like you walk. I want to be healed. And Jesus says, go. Whoa. Go? Go where? Where where else could I go? We don't know how long that pause was, but we know that shortly after that, Jesus says, your faith, has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight. Well, let's stop there. Immediately, he received his sight. See, Bartimaeus chose consciously to go up to Jesus. 
to hear His words, to learn from Him, to be healed. He had a need. He had a desire. He had a want. He had something in His life that was prohibiting Him from living it to its fullest. And He knew that Jesus, Son of David, this is a messianic term, that He is from God, that Jesus could do something. Jesus says, go, and we don't know where that means. He just says, go, your faith has healed you. Immediately, Bartimaeus can see. End of story, right? Does he listen to Jesus? Well, I guess it depends on where he thought Jesus wanted him to go. But if go away was what he was thinking, he was pretty disobedient. Because after consciously choosing to follow Jesus, he said, I will now place myself in the presence of my Savior where I will subconsciously learn to pick up and talk like Him and walk like Him and treat other people like He treats other people and to love like Him. Because as I am around Him, I will become more like Him. If you want to become more like Jesus, if you want to be transformed, let me tell you, it's as easy as this. Seek Jesus Christ. James says, draw near to Him and He He will draw near to you. I'm going to confess that this this has been a big part of my life in the last 32 days. When January 1st rolled around and I thought about all the things that I needed to improve in my life, one of the things I really realized is that my relationship with God was not where it needed to be. And I found myself on the side of the road blind. But I don't even know that I was calling out for Jesus. And this is just, please take this as humbly as I can, I can say it. I knew that I was broken and I said, God, I just, I need to spend more time with you. I need to spend more time in prayer. And I began praying more. And I began studying the idea of prayer where it's found within the Bible. I began picking up books on prayer. And I I started to, to talk to God again. I have yet to win the lottery. Things haven't got better in my life. Although I have a wonderful life, I must admit. But I have to say... I have have never been more amazed at the presence of God and how He works in our lives if if we just spend time with Him. I I learned something. I'm going to share this with you and and then we'll close out. In one of the books I was reading, one of the the counselors was saying that, uh, he says, when I... When I meet uh, with a, a family, he's actually an attorney, and he says, he says when, when some of my clients are, uh, are going to be questioned by the other attorneys, he says, one thing that I, I make them do, he says, when they go to sit down and they're being questioned, he says, I make them open up their hands and lay, lay them down on their knees, palms up. 
Uh, this is from Bo uh, Bob Goff's book, Love Does. He calls the chapter Palms Up. And he says, because it's a whole lot matter. I mean, it's a whole lot harder to get mad when you have your palms open. And he says, conversely, when you clench your fist, it's a whole lot harder to stay calm like that. And he suggested, you know, how that could affect other areas of my life. And I, I've tried to begin a routine that when I pray, that I don't just open up my palms, but I also say, God, I need you to take the junk in my life. And if my hands are open, I can't grab it and pull it back. And say, I need you. I trust in you. I am blinded on the side of the road and I'm calling out your name and I want you to be the one that works in my life because I, I got one thing figured out. I figured this out. It's, it, I, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't be the minister that I need to be. I can't be the father I need to be. I can't be the husband I need to be. I can't be the Christian that I need to be. I can't do it. I've tried and I've failed. And I'm tired of ending out a year and saying, I wish I had done this better. I wish I had done this. And instead of saying, God, this is really about you. This is about you and you're going to work in my life how you need to do it. And I'm going to stop trying to take control. And I'm going to stop worrying about what other people think about me. Thinking that I need acceptance from them. My hands are open. And I'm saying, Lord, you just take this. And let me tell you something. It's been the most amazing month of my entire life. Of just walking around, talking to God. And just saying, God, this is all yours. And I've had this freeing feeling in my life because I've said, you know what, God, I'm not going to worry about it anymore. Listen, you need to understand this. I am broken. This is not about any good in me. It's only in God. And I want you to experience a relationship. I want you to consciously choose to follow Him. And subconsciously, by being around Him, you take on His love and His mercy and His forgiveness and His joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Do we feel that? I'm now starting to get a little bit more what it like. I'm starting to understand what it's like to just give it to God. Now, I'm still struggling with that. But I can tell you that God is doing amazing things in my heart. And I am seeing the world in a new perspective because I just I want to be around Him. And I want to encourage you. I want you to be freed from the guilt of the past, from the worries of the future, from worrying about what people think about you or what you're doing or anything else. And just say, God, I give this all to you. Amazing things happen when we say, God, it's all yours. I'm going to trust you. That doesn't mean that the waves die down. It just means that I've now invited the Savior into the boat with me. I want to ask you to do the same thing. This is not just about eldership. This is about us giving it to God and letting Him take control. My prayer for you this morning is that we will all let go. I'm going to ask us to do something a little different. Before we have the invitation song, I'm just going to ask that you stand. 
And I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And I want to offer a prayer. And if you feel comfortable with this, you can keep your arms down. But I want you to consider opening up your hands. And for the next few moments, I want you to think about how you can give your life to Christ, that you can give your worries to Christ, that you can give your all to Him, and that in doing so, that He will reward you and bless you with His presence. Let's pray. Father God, I just pray this morning that as we come with open hands, it means one, that we hold on to nothing, and two, it means that we give it all to You. Lord, this morning, I just pray that we begin to live a life with open palms. That as we, as we face struggles in our life, that we say, this is not a struggle that we alone are going to bear, but Lord, this is one that You have promised to be with us. And You will carry us through it. And so, Lord, let us not only give up those struggles in our life, but Lord, help us commit not to try to take that garbage back in the house that we will leave it at Your feet. God, You're good, You're mighty, and You're gracious. And I thank You for being a God who takes away our pain. You take away our sin. You took it to the cross. And You, with open arms, have opened up a future that never would have been available without Your mercy and Your love. God, we thank You for that, for the men and women in this room who have been burdened. Lord, I pray that as we open up our hearts and hands, that You open up our eyes and we can see that You are an awesome, powerful God, bigger than all our problems, and Your love is greater than any problem that we may have. We thank You for that in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. If there's any way that we can serve you this morning, we want to be a people with open arms and open hands. If we can serve you in any way, please come as we sing this song of invitation.